1: It's time for Rush Hour with Danny Burke, presented by Bette Rivers.
5: Welcome in. It is Rush Hour presented by Bet Rivers. I am not Danny Burke. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Danny this week. Good show on tap as we roll through our NFL previews today. One of my favorite teams this season, not one of my favorite teams root for the Cleveland Browns. Zach Jackson is going to be with us as we discuss everything Cleveland Browns-esque as we look at their potential to not only win an AFC North, uh, maybe AFC Championship game appearance after an appearance in the divisional round, Last year, but we'll get to the Cleveland Browns momentarily. We have games that are set to begin in Major League Baseball. Let's go through those. A lot of day games today, by the way, Major League Baseball, including one that was earlier currently underway in front of me, a 1-1 tie between the Mets and the Giants. A fascinating matchup between these two as the Mets look to snap that. But let's get to some of these games that are going to get started in the next couple of minutes. Uh, we can start with the Red Sox and the Yankees. This is one of the headliners here. As Boston and New York will do battle yet again. Had a doubleheader yesterday. The Yankees took care of business in both of them. Yankees now percentage points ahead of the Boston Red Sox. And the AL East. how about that? What is going on here? Yankees, absolutely red hot. And they send out one Andrew Heaney today. We've had a little bit of a flip here. And we saw some opening prices of about a dollar thirty in favor of the Boston Red Sox, but no, it is the New York Yankees who are the dollar thirty favorite right now over at BetRivers Rivers total of ten, slightly shaded to the under at a buck seventeen. The Boston Red Sox looking to snap a slide. We'll send out one Nick Pavetta to oppose Andrew Heaney. Now, Pavetta has been great in August. Four earned runs over 16 and two-thirds, 475 strikeouts walk ratio up to that point. Have to wonder if it's sustainable, given a couple of things, namely the previous month, which wasn't great, and his season-long expected fielding independent of 432. Heaney, meanwhile, I I love Andrew Heaney. I'm I'm an Angels guy. He's a former Angel but the pinstripe transition has not gone entirely well. If you look at what he has done in 15 innings as a Yankee, nine uh, ERA flat, and the regression is there, but it's not great. A 526 expected fielding independent for Andrew Heaney in his short time as a New York Yankee. So very short sample size, room to regress and get a little bit better, but at this point right now, pretty much what you've seen from Andrew Heaney is exactly what you are. Uh, getting and we're going to get as you move forward. And I think it explains the high total here between these two clubs. We have seen this open nine and a half, but now we're up to that 10 over at Bet Rivers. Next up on the list, let's go to the National League Atlanta and Miami as the Atlanta Braves look to maintain their spot on top of their division. Charlie Morton, his Luz, Lazardo are going to oppose one another here. Uh, Atlanta opens up as a $1. seventy favorite. We're now upwards of minus 235 over at Bet Rivers, total of seven and a half. That's actually right now. shaded is the over to buck eighteen. This opened at eight and a half. Shaded to the over at a buck twenty in some spots. Morton priced appropriately here, and the market moving in his direction. Not surprising for two reasons. One, Morton himself six or more innings in six of seven starts, no more than three earned runs in any of those outings. And Lazardo has not been good since he's been acquired by the Miami Marlins, and he's been getting worse. If you look at the three starts with Miami, fourteen to two thirds innings pitched, a 9.20 ERA, fifteen earned runs over three homers, a 6.72. Expected fielding independent for Jesus Lazardo, and command has been atrocious. 11 walks, hasn't been striking guys out. It has been really bad for Lazardo, and this is why I think not only do you see Atlanta open as the high favorite that they are, and they're playing really good baseball at this point, too. Morton has been absolutely fantastic, but Jesus Lazardo has been an absolute train wreck. So you see a very big price on Atlanta, and it's not surprising. Speaking of big prices, and keep in mind, you know, this is a conversation around baseball, especially this time of year. Where it is, favorites are taking care of business, especially against some of these bad teams. Case in point, the Baltimore Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay opens up as a minus 335 favorite here against Baltimore and Spencer Watkins. Luis Head is going to get the first start uh, for the Tampa Bay uh, Rays. Not his first start, but get his start against the Tampa Bay Rays. Any real reason to believe in Baltimore, I mean... Send it to me. I can't find any good reason. They've dropped 13 straight. Watkins has been terrible. He's got zero command. He has nothing in terms of generating swings and misses. Uh, swings and misses, and you can balance out poor command with a high strikeout rate. Right? It's one of the things that is very consistent when it comes to pitching. You're going to walk a lot of guys, i.e., a Blake Snell. Blake Snell still a relatively solid pitcher in this league because he could strike out guys at an insanely high rate. Not the case here with Watkins, who has been an absolute nightmare. So the Orioles have not been playing well on this losing streak. The Tampa Bay Rays look to solidify their spot on top of this division. You see a massive price tag. Not surprising. And then Anaheim on the road against Detroit. This is going to get started shortly as well. The Angels thirty favorite at the open with Shohei Otani, who has been absolutely electric. Now, over the last month or so, he's been great this year. Uh, but you see the respect for the Anaheim Angels with Shohei Otani on the hill. still no real move here. Scooball uh, right now, plus 110 at home, minus 129, total 8.5. Over at Bet Rivers, shaded to the over at minus 114. Opened at 8, so you see a little bit of a hook on the addition there. It is Bet Rivers, or excuse me, it is Rush Hour. I did that yesterday, too. Uh, presented by Bet Rivers, I'm Jonathan Von Tobel, filling in for Danny Burke. Uh, coming up shortly, we're going to talk a little bit about the Cleveland Browns, uh, one of the teams that it's like been a slow build here for Cleveland, right? We can go back all those years ago, uh, the winless season, every single way possible in terms of losing games. Uh, but now we have seen the talent be amassed there. We see Stefanski come in last year, winning coach of the year, doing an absolutely tremendous job. And now this year, everything seems set up pretty nicely for the Cleveland Browns. One of the easier schedules in the National Football League by opposing win total. A lot of additions on the defensive end, either through the draft, free agency, or guys who were injured and were opted out from a season ago coming back. And then offensively, a lot to work with there. One of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. An offensive scheme that sets your floor very high. So you don't really have a lot of poor games Baker Mayfield seems to have kind of come into his own in this system, too. So this looks like a year in which the Cleveland Browns can build on a second-round playoff appearance from a season ago and a close playoff loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, although we can bicker about that. And when we talk about the Patrick Mahomes injury or whatnot, Zach Jackson, who is a Browns writer for The Athletic, is going to join us as we discuss Cleveland 16-1 to to win the Super Bowl. So, Zach, I appreciate the time today. Uh, I kind of wanted to start with the defense here because this is the thing that intrigues me the most about Cleveland because I love their offense, love Stefanski, I love what they bring to the table. We can discuss that. But when you look at the additions for this Cleveland Browns team defensively, a team that by some metrics is around 23rd, if you think it was DVOA, in terms of defensive efficiency, am i wrong in thinking that the potential of this team to vault themselves like top 15 scratching the surface of a top 10 type defensive efficiency team it's there for this defense is it not
4: yeah i think so i mean first it's always a pleasure to be with you and second yeah i agree i mean you look at the browns last year the offense um was really good and you know not really came out of nowhere but was established, right, and could attack in multiple ways by the end of the year. And the defense was Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and really bad. And so the theme of the offseason was upgrading. It went from really bad at safety to John Johnson, who's a leader who's seen a lot. They, they gambled on Jadavia Clowney, who he and Garrett could scare the crap out of a lot of people and change a lot of games. You know, they brought in Anthony Walker. They have some young guys, Jacob Phillips, Grant Delpit, um, Jordan Elliott, who they think. So, yeah, you know, they're good at forcing turnovers. Um, they're thin, I think, on the defensive line, and they're one injury away from it being real trouble. Mm-hmm. But if you think about Miles Garrett, the talent that he has, and the way he, he took that next step last year off the, the the wild 2019 season, and you pair him with Clowney, if you keep Denzel Ward healthy, if you keep John Johnson healthy, then, yes, they could take a really big leap.
5: So, and let's start on the upfront, and then we can kind of work our way back from there. Because in our NFL guide, which is going to be coming out here next week, I actually wrote up the AFC North. And one of the things in terms of potential future bets that I put down that I have a little bit on here is Miles Garrett to win Defensive Player of the Year. And Miles Garrett, I think, has been absolutely phenomenal. There's no arguing that since he's come to the league. But part of my argument there, Zach, was, and part of my thinking with this wager is. I don't think Jadavion Clowney really adds, I shouldn't say adds much, right? Because he hasn't been a dominant pass rusher throughout his career. But having him, having the other pieces along the front wall, it's relatively thin, if they're still healthy, I don't think you can just double up Miles Garrett anymore. And he was still a dominant force when he was doubled. But to me, this seems like with all of the additions along this front line in terms of pass rushing, this could be kind of a breakout year for a guy who has already been a spectacular defensive player, Miles Garrett.
4: I agree. Um, Five times last year you saw him take over games, you know, make huge plays that swung the game. He would force a turnover, the Browns would score and the whole shape of the rest of the game would change. Um, He's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster, he's been dealing with a little bit of hammy, but you know what that is, JBT. that's the Browns saying it's mid-August and we want Miles in October and November. We don't care right now. So, yeah, as far as his, his case for defensive player of the year, the sack number should be there. And if the offense is even close to as good as it was, you're playing from ahead, right? You've added Clowney to to move him around, to move Miles around. I think a little bit, maybe not as much as they did last year, but you're going to have chances then, you know, to really strike and let him loose. and And I don't think that that Miles posting a big sack number and making big plays in games that people are watching, which is how you win the the Defensive Player of the Year award, right? I don't think that's out of the question at all.
5: Yep. So I, I think, to me, the weak link of this team defensively, potentially, could be the linebacking core. Uh, what do you expect from this linebacking core as we come into 2021? And, and you know, young rookies like Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa, who dropped, and I think a lot of people uh, expected him to go a lot earlier than he did, expected to be a steal there for Cleveland. But I think when I look at this team, if we're, if we're grading this defensively, you know, defensive line, probably second next to that secondary. really like a lot of the pieces there. But linebacker, to me, is one of the bigger weaknesses for this team.
4: Yeah, I think the linebacking core is a lot better than it was last year. I think the defensive tackle group is the biggest group, and here's why I think the linebacking core is better. Anthony Walker is not going to be an all-pro, but he is a veteran. He can play the run. He can play the pass, and I just think when they, they looked at the whole middle and they said we are so much better with John Johnson in the back and Anthony Walker in the middle as far as just lining people up, and making, you know, making sure we're in the right place, letting Clowney and Miles really make this splash. place. Jacob Phillips is a freakishly talented second-year player who only played a little bit last year because he got hurt. He was a 21-year-old rookie who got hurt early. They, they needed to bring him along slowly. And then JOK is the name everyone knows. And the speed and the range are real. Now, when these 320-pound guards are blocking him in November and December, how's he going to deal with that? I don't know. But we've already seen that, like, okay, the Browns are better equipped to chase Lamar Jackson and to cover tight ends because JOK is there and because Anthony Walker is there than they were at any point last year.
5: So you mentioned the defensive interior. Expand on that then because you know, like Malik Jackson would probably be uh, the biggest name, a really decent interior guy in terms of rushing the passer. But to your point, if you look at Cleveland from just like a PFF standpoint, for example, not a lot of highly graded run defenders along the interior of the defensive line. It seems like a team that could be relatively soft up the middle, susceptible to some decent run games, i.e. the Baltimore Ravens, who you just brought up.
4: Yeah, and they weren't really good against the run last year. Um, so you have Miles back, and then really the next three guys, even four, are gone. So Billy Jackson's 31. He's been in the NFL for a long time, and he's been a good player. You know, is he still atop top of his game? I don't know. You know, Jordan Elliott is a rookie last year, only played a little. They draft Toyei in the fourth round last year. They bring in Andrew Billings. He opts out. They have him back. He's a run stopping guy, um, but he's you know 10, 15 snaps a game. When the Browns are playing the Chiefs, what can Andrew Billings give you? I don't know. The Browns are trying to beat the Ravens. They see Andrew Billings as a part of that, right? I think they see Anthony Walker and JOK and John Johnson and Troy Hill as a part of that. So, yeah, when I I listed it out pre-camp, defensive tackle is the weakest group. But if Malik Jackson still has plenty in the tank and even one of those young guys takes the leap, then you're fine. Um, You know, I thought Sheldon Richardson was really good. And the only part about adding Clowney I didn't like is it came at the expense of cutting him, you know, to create some extra cap space. So, you know, they obviously thought Sheldon wasn't on top of his game anymore. But you go get Malik Jackson, who's actually older than Sheldon, you're counting on Billings, who hasn't played in a year, was, you know, kind of borderline starter in Cincinnati to start with. That just tells me they're really counting on one of these young guys to take a leap.
5: So let's take a look at the last part of this defense. And this is, a, to me, it's a big deal. I know a lot of people are like, why are you focusing so much on the defense? Because I think we know what this offense is going to be, and we'll get into it. But this secondary, I like it. It's really intriguing. We already know about some of the good pieces, especially a cornerback. Uh, but when you look at the secondary as you move into 2021, you know what is your assessment of this? How big of a strength is this secondary going to be for the Cleveland Browns?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I think Ward, when he's healthy, is a top five, six corner. And I think he... Man's his side of the field. I think last year the safety play was horrible, probably the worst in the league. And through injuries, through COVID, through whatever, they were somewhere between just okay and shaky, mm-hmm. you know, with the other corners and the safeties um, in terms of covering the pass. You just didn't have to throw it to Denzel Ward's side because other guys were going to be open, right? So Troy Hill played with John Johnson with the Rams. He's probably the primary slot corner, but he's played outside. You know, he's gonna be thirty and he's on the smallish side, but but he has played a lot and he just adds a lot, I think, of playmaking, of savvy. They want Grant Delpa to get healthy. He just can't get healthy to this point. They think Ronnie Harrison can can be a good player. He played only in about half the games last year after they picked him up in a trade. So when they're healthy, JVT, and all the pieces are there, it's a completely different defense that can match up in different ways. Um If they start to lose guys, if some of the young guys don't step up, there's a problem. I mean, they don't know who the corner opposite Ward is going to be. They drafted Newsom in the first round. They like him. I think it's going to be a really good pick. Is it going to be a really good pick when they play the Chiefs on September 12th? I don't know, right? So, you know, they're, they're neck and neck. I think it'll be more Williams to start the year. But I think Newsom will, will eventually play, and I think he eventually will be a good player. It's just this is a team trying to get to the Super Bowl right now, and that's a 21-year-old rookie who will get targeted every time that he's on the field early in the year.
5: So let's flip this. Then we'll take a look at the other side of the ball, which is this offense. And you know, in this you know Stefanski system, this you know this zone read, this bootleg with quarterback, like this kind of an offense. I think Zach has like a really high floor, right? Like you're going to get a general baseline of productivity for this offensive scheme, right? We know about this. We've seen types from it, the Minnesota Vikings, Kubiak. Type like all these types, we've seen this before, so we kind of know what this offense is going to be. But the underrated part, I think, about the Cleveland Browns is this offensive line. We're going to get the same production out of this offensive line like they did last year, right? Because this was one of the best run blocking lines in the league last year. This is just one of the better offensive lines of the league, period. It seems
4: there's no doubt. Whole offense is back, all 11 starters, you know, the first five or six backups. That includes the whole line, which had a rookie left tackle last year playing a new position had another tackle who was in his first year you know, with this team, had never done it. And then you really have the two best running backs. Um, not the two best running backs in the league, but the best one-two punch behind it in, in Chubb and in Hunt. I mean, your backup running back is a former NFL rushing champion, right? So it's the physicality that makes it different. It's the right guard, Wyatt Teller, the left guard, Joel Batonio, and the fact that Chubb beats on you and you bring Hunt off the bench. You don't have to get away from what you want to do, right? And that sets up the bootlegs, the play action. That's where Baker's best. So the past game took off late last year and that really opened things up play calling and I think kept them less predictable. But, but I think you said it well, I think they want to be a running team that makes you guess early, right? Just dangerous enough in the passing game and just able to do enough with the crossing routes and the bootleg stuff to keep you honest. And they want to use those backs to put you away and to wear you down. And you know, their are weeks, not till December, The expectations are different, and if they only make it back to the second round of the playoffs, it'll feel like a disappointment. But they feel like they're built to play in Kansas City, in Cleveland, in Baltimore, in Buffalo in December and January, and that's where their eyes are.
5: So, with the wide receiving core, is also pretty intriguing, and we had this, you know, this storyline right when we talked about Odell Beckham Jr. and the injury. And hey, are they better without Odell Beckham Jr.? I think this was just an offense that was kind of finding its stride. It just seemed to coincide with the absence of Odell Beckham Jr. So, with him, this wide receiving core, what are your expectations, and what can we see? Do we expect more of an explosive passing attack and more involvement from Odell Beckham Jr. because it hasn't been the perfect fit for him since he's been acquired by Cleveland?
4: Yeah, I will admit that he and Baker have struggled to get on the same page, um, at least on a consistent basis, but he had a couple of big games and the past offense as a whole just didn't take off until he was gone. And that was all the things we talked about, the timing, the new offense. I mean, the way the Browns handled Baker Mayfield early in his career with all the coaching change and all the system change, that's malpractice. Guys don't settle in. Well, last November and December, he settled in, right? So Jarvis Landry is still his absolute go-to guy. Um, The tight ends are competent. I don't think they're great. Odell is not ready to go right now, but we all know what he is. Donovan Peoples-Jones went from nowhere as a sixth-round rookie to making plays, and they have over-reliable Rashard Higgins, who I think would be anybody's three or four receiver and has real good chemistry with the quarterback. So I don't think Kevin Stefanski, if he's listening in, wants wants the Browns to throw for 5,000 yards, right? wants Baker to be an MVP candidate or anything like that. But I think they feel really good about how they can attack about how the receivers, you know, with their varying skill sets fit. And I think they think if Odell is healthy, that he can stretch the field enough to make them different. And that with the continuity piece and Baker finally getting settled in that, yeah, look, look, Baker's not going to be Mahomes or Rogers. He's, he's just not, but I think he can be good enough with a team around him. And I think, I think this is a legit AFC contender. I think the value has gone from, from a wagering standpoint on that, on everything but them winning the division, quite frankly. But I think with the potential of the defense, what we know about the offense and enough talent being on the offense to, to continue to rise, yeah, I think this is a really good team, and I won't be surprised if they're at 11 and 12 wins and win the division.
5: Yep. Super Bowl odds uh, for those who are watching: 16 to one, plus 750 to win the AFC. AFC North odds: plus 145, plus 150, and to make the playoffs, uh, you're laying about two dollars 25 cents there. So what's yeah. the? Uh, I think they win the division, Zach. I, you know, I'm not really high on Baltimore to the extent of like looking at them matching up with Cleveland and the regression we have seen from Lamar Jackson. What is the path they take there uh, to win that division in the Baltimore Ravens and the competition that they offer in the AFC North with Cleveland?
4: Yeah, I mean, the two things that stand out to me are winning the division and Miles winning yep. you know, MVP, as you mentioned. But specifically against the Ravens, they just have, have struggled. Lamar has done what he's wanted. Mark Andrews has run wide open down the middle of the field. Marquise Brown has run wide open outside the hashes. Um, Lamar has frozen them. Lamar has dink and dunked them to, to open those things up, and he has just destroyed them um, really in, in all but one of the games that they've played. So, you know, I think their formula is a play keep away, right, which they're built to do. I think their off-season thinking was we got to get a little faster. We have to be better covering tight ends, and we have to be able to cut down Lamar's angles. So those, those are six- or eight-yard runs and not 16- or 60-yard runs, which he's done to the Browns. So, yeah, I do think they built – Um, This defense with guys like Kelsey and Andrews and Mahomes and Jackson in mind now to what extent can you really stop them? I don't know but I I just I I still have major questions JBT, about this defense. Yep. But with Garrett and with Ward, I would say that's a good starting point
5: for anybody. Well, Zach, as we know, a lot of championships are won on paper. So uh, I think I feel very confident in everything about the Cleveland. <laughs> the more we talk about them, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Zach Jackson, Browns writer for The Athletic, uh, does a phenomenal job. You can find his work there. Zach, it's always good to talk to you, man. thank you very much for the time today. Talk to you soon. Yep, you got it. Again, Akron Jackson up on Twitter. Uh, one of the more phenomenal names in media, Zach Jackson. Uh, okay, by the way, you should know one of the things, too, it's very important in terms of analyzing these teams and future markets, all these Baltimore's schedule is really brutal, right? Especially when you go down the stretch. Think about this. So the final meeting between these two clubs is going to be week 14. It's going to be in Cleveland. Baltimore has a stretch of games. From week 12 on, the Ravens have six games against opponents projected to win nine or more games. They have a three-game stretch where they take on Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Green Bay. And that's in the, the back half of the schedule. The end of the Ravens' schedule is a slog, and a lot of that has to do with my analysis as well, with the Cleveland Browns getting a more favorable spot in front of them in terms of their schedule. All right, on the other side, let's get to college football. Georgia Bulldogs had a practice the other day and some really key injuries coming out of it. We'll update you on that and the matchup with Clemson coming up in a couple of weeks. With exclusive bets, daily specials, odds boosts, and the largest offer of live in-play options, River Sportsbook is the industry leader when it comes to online sports betting. And to make your experience even more... Rewarding, BetRivers offers the most live streams of major sports, instant payouts, and only a one-time playthrough. BetRivers, your hometown sportsbook. Offer valid in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Available at PlaySugarHouse.com in New Jersey. You have to be 21. Gambling problem? Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. It is Rush Hour presented by Bet Rivers. I got it that time. Smooth dismount. Uh, Danny Burke, not here. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel. Uh, really quickly, because there's a lot going on in baseball right now. We won't update the scoreboard. I just want to put it out there that Shohei Otani, who started today, uh, minutes before he was set to lead off the game, was throwing weighted baseballs and just looking like an absolute monster out there. And the A's were up 2 nothing in this game. So just a quick Shohei Otani update because I can, and I'm in control at this point right now. College football, though, we did get news today. See, Georgia, of course, has a massive matchup with Clemson at the start of the year. By the way, my national championship matchup as well. We'll get to that. Matt Eumann's not a very big fan. So, the injury news at a report, uh, multiple reports Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith uh, each expected to miss three to four weeks minimum with foot injuries sustained in practice on Tuesday, unlikely to be available against Clemson. Now, Darnell Washington, tight end, expected to be an important piece of Georgia's offense this coming season numbers in terms of what he contributed to last year. Young kid didn't really contribute much until the bowl game. And of course, Smith, a very key transfer from West Virginia, freshman, all American in 2019, second team, all American in 2020. So really something that was expected, a lot was expected of these two guys, as you move in to this matchup with Clemson. And so while the loss of a tight end and a corner in your mind might not be that much to me, it's the grand scheme of things now here with Georgia and, um, is this right now, huh? Like, Bet River's up to five with Clemson, apparently, right? If we have the screen up here in front of me, with a total of 52, um... So I sprinkled a little bit on Clemson minus three after this news because, again, it's not just, as I get to red there a little bit, it's not just about these two injuries, right? It's about the sum of the parts. Starting center, Warren Erickson, fractured hand. Jermaine Burton, Karis Johnson, wide receivers injured at the beginning of camp, could be back, didn't participate in the latest scrimmage, but photos show that they were back on the practice field, so looks like they might be available. Still got a couple of weeks until these two teams meet in Charlotte. But this was a team in Georgia that I'm really high on, uh, that I know that are quite a few handicappers that are are part with this network that are very high on Georgia in the grand scheme of things. Part of it, too, as we kind of circle back to our conversation about Cleveland, uh, their schedule is absolute cake. Yes, the vaunted SEC schedule for Georgia works out very well for them. But, look, JT Daniels, I can get the sentiment of, hey – Looked great against really bad competition at the end of the year last year. Scuffled a little bit against Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati's a quality team. But regardless... I can understand the questions, right, about what you have with Georgia. But I think at the end of the day, if you have those questions on top of injuries around this offense, that's where I can kind of understand, at least in this week one spot, if the market starts to move in that direction. You see the schedule here that I'm referencing here, by the way. So you start the season off with Clemson, and then you go UAB and South Carolina at home. Just look at your road games here if you're Georgia. At Vanderbilt, at Auburn, at Tennessee, and at Georgia Tech, you get the neutral against Florida. That's a schedule that sets up really nicely for Georgia, right? And so you could, I think, definitely foresee a scenario that even if you drop the game against Clemson on September 4th, you roll through this with one loss and find your way in an SEC championship game and thus have to beat the representative, uh, which would more than likely be Alabama. But regardless, I think there is a lot to like here about Georgia and the path in front of them toward an SEC championship potential college football playoff berth. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised to see the market start to move a little bit in that direction. We're still sitting at three in plenty of places. Uh, you can see some three and a halfs popping up, but it's shaded to the plus side at minus one twenty. Uh, other spots minus three, minus one twenty as well. But we'll see if these injuries, because that's part of the problem here. This is going to be a Georgia team that potentially could be missing some pieces offensively against Clemson, who I think we talk about like questions, right? A lot of missing personnel for this Clemson team offensively in terms of you know having to reshuffle everything, right? DJ Uyangalale looks like he's going to be the real deal at quarterback, but Travis Etienne is gone. Wide receiving core that I think has some question marks, even though guys are coming back from injury too. But I think what I know about Clemson is that they're going to be really good defensively. Their linebacking core is absolutely tremendous. I love everything about what they have at all three levels defensively, and I know that this is going to be a really good defensive team. And so I'm going to be really intrigued to see how this meets up Clemson's defense against Georgia's offense. And yeah, minus four and a half. For Clemson over at Bet Rivers, so keep an eye on that as we get closer to game time. News today didn't move the market, but I would expect to see maybe some buyback here in Clemson as we get closer and closer to the game in Charlotte. All right, so we update that on the other side. Major League Baseball, dude. So we have these straw polls that come out in sports sometimes. You saw it in the NBA, well, we have an MVP straw poll out in Major League Baseball, and I got to tell you, there's some hype around some guys late in the season that probably shouldn't be. We'll tell you why. Now that the NFL preseason has kicked off, it's the perfect time for you to huddle up with the VEASAN Pro Football Betting Guide. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats and power ratings, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. The guide is only 20 bucks, and discounts are available when you buy both the NFL and College Guide. Reserve your copy or sign up for VEASAN All Access. Get everything we offer for the entire football season. Sign up now at VEASAN.com subscribe. We're actually going to look at uh, one of the divisions that I got to write up in this guide which will be out in the next few weeks, you uh, which is the AFC East. And I have I'll just put it this way, I have an odd fondness for the New York Jets. But there's a there's a wide spectrum. We'll talk about that, but the Jets look like they got a lot to work with. So let's talk a little Major League Baseball. Before we get to some of the later games, there's a lot of action today early in the day. Right now the Mets by the way just took a 5-2 lead over the San Francisco Giants looking to snap their losing streak. But I wanted to look at this because MLB.com, if you remember during the NBA season, um, there was a straw poll done multiple times by Tim Bontemps of MVP voters to give you an idea of what the voting would look like, right? And so for us, for bettors who can bet on these awards, really great insight into what was going to potentially happen. And you saw on that second, t- that the penultimate straw poll, Then Igor Jokic was going to run away with it. And sure enough, odd shift after that comes out and he wins it. Well, they put up straw polls for the AL and NL MVP. Now, I want to do NL here mainly because Shohei Otani ran away with it. 91 of the first place votes for Shohei Otani. But I find the NL MVP straw poll pretty interesting because there seems to be a rumbling and a consensus that maybe Fernando Tatis is not potentially the guy to win National League MVP. But you see the straw poll results here. Fernando Tatis got 60 of the first place votes. Right now, currently, Bet Rivers minus 278 to win NL MVP. Bryce Harper was second with 19 first place votes. Max Muncy was third with six. Zach Wheeler actually got four, who's not listed by Bet Rivers. And what I found even more fascinating, you hear a lot of, you know, you hear a, a Trey Turner type in this. Jesse Winker, who has been injured, but he actually got three first place votes. He's been absolutely phenomenal. He's 100 to one over at Bet Rivers. But I wanted to bring this up mainly because I think we do this a lot when it comes to awards. We get wrapped up in shorter sample sizes, right? We remember what we saw last and forget, to a certain extent, right, that it's a season-long award. Since I covered the NBA, it's one of the more familiar things you can go back to for me, but it's like when you talk about a rookie of the year. And Zion Williamson has two great months as a rookie. You tend to forget that the entire season, John Morant was absolutely spectacular. Luka Dodgers, Trae Young, it was the exact same thing, right? A hot couple of months does not replace a season's worth of dominance. And Fernando Tatis, to me, is that guy at this point right now. And you can see, at least in the straw poll, while Bryce Harper does have some support, there's still a gap here in this straw poll presented by MLB.com. 61st place votes to 19 for, you know, for Fernando Tatis. And that's a pretty big deal, especially when you try to make the case <coughs> excuse me, for others in the National League MVP running. And what I found even more fascinating was a guy like Zach Wheeler, who has been tremendous this year, actually not even listed for an LMVP, uh, but getting something in terms of first place votes. So with that, again, just a really good exercise for bettors out there who are looking at that, thinking of betting on an LMVP and excuse me, <coughs> looking for uh, odds and longer shots in the NL MVP market, at this point right now, it seems like it's Fernando Tatis' award to, uh, to lose. And I don't see anything, he went 0-4 today, I don't see really anything that is going to change that. So let's take a look at some of the games in Major League Baseball that are going to start a little bit later here. Uh, we'll start with Philadelphia and Arizona. Bad loss for the Phillies yesterday. Who again, remember we talked about this, right? I have a small wager on Philly at plus 160 to win the NL East. Mainly because they have the easiest schedule going forward. Got to take advantage of spots like this in series like this against the Arizona Diamondbacks. You don't yesterday, so today you send out Ranger Suarez to oppose Humberto Castellanos and we'll see if they can get this done. Market has moved in the direction of the Philadelphia Phillies here. Opened up at a dollar twenty-five. Now upwards of minus 167, total of nine and a half right now. That is up a run. It opened up eight and a half, shaded to the over at a buck 20. Uh, but the guy, Rangers Suarez, uh, last three outings, he has started. Uh, he has been coming in and out of the bullpen earlier in the year, but last three starts, have, or excuse me, last three outings have been starts, and he's been rock solid for the Philadelphia Phillies. And his numbers across the board, even as the sample size grows, still relatively tight. Now, 107 ERA, probably not going to hold up, but... When you look at a 3.44 expected fielding independent, even if he does start to regress here a little bit, he's going to be still a very solid pitcher. Guy pitches the contact, walks are a little high, right? 3.58 walks every nine innings, the walk rate a little high at 10.2%. But regardless, there's a reason why here that you have looked at this and thought that uh, the market has thought, I should put it that way, that Rangers Juarez is going to be a guy to bet potentially back, especially in those first fives, especially when you look at Castellanos. Castellanos had a really solid outing last time you saw him. It's going to be a second start here. The problem is and it's 15 and two-thirds innings of work, so we'll see if there's going to be some regression with his other numbers. A 230 ERA, but a 465 expected fielding independent. Uh, Castellanos is a guy who does not strike out a lot of dudes and has a worse walk rate than we were talking about with Suarez. you are talking about four walks every nine innings, but you're only striking out less than seven guys every nine innings. That's not the, the difference that you want in those two categories. Again, balancing out walks with strikeouts, he's not doing that. So the market moving in that direction, you completely agree Philly, though, has to take care of business in these spots. Dodgers are going to take on the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. JT Brubaker is going to get the start here for Pittsburgh. Uh, right now we can talk about the Open, which is the Dodgers' $3 favorite, plus dollars on the other end for Pittsburgh. Look, these big favorites are coming in, as we talked about in Major League Baseball. Uh, the market has really been getting in on these as well. We've talked about seeing some really astronomical prices raised today, for example, going off as a $3.30 favorite, $3.35. But there is for good reason why this is happening. And Brubaker, there is going to potentially be some positive regression here for him. 513 ERA, 402 expected fielding independent. That's a pretty good indication that he's been getting a little unlucky with some of the numbers. And you look too. A guy who doesn't strike out a lot, just under nine strikeouts every nine innings. But he doesn't walk a lot of guys. A guy who at this point right now is having a lot of trouble with home runs. And maybe, just maybe, Not the lineup to take on if you're a dude that's having some trouble with some home runs, especially if you're a right-handed guy against this Los Angeles Dodgers lineup. But regardless, big favorite for the Dodgers for a reason. We've been barely getting by the Pirates over the last couple of games. And then finally... Really tough spot for Oakland yesterday. Bassett gets a liner off of the face. It looked really scary. Sounds like he's going to be hopefully okay. But the White Sox opened up as a $2 favorite after taking the first two of this series. Cole Irvin's going to be on the hill here. Lance Lynn is getting the start for the White Sox. There's a big reason why the White Sox are as big a favorite as they are here. Lynn has been absolutely fantastic. And Cole Irvin, he's got something coming for him. A guy who can't really generate swings and misses. The walks are fine, but 638 in terms of the Ks per nine. If you look at it in terms of the hard contact that he gives up, it's actually relatively solid. But at this point right now, when you're looking at being unable to generate swings and misses at this point right now for Cole Irvin and the difference between his ERA and his feeling independent, you can expect this lineup to operate at a really high level. And Lance Lynn has been absolutely tremendous. So two really big missed opportunities. A's had nothing after that Bassett unfortunate injury yesterday. See if they can take this one, but the market's moved in their direction almost every single one of these games except for today as they open up as a $2 favorite, the White Sox do, and then get up to minus 230. All right, let's get to the AFC East. Uh, There is a team here that is not the Buffalo Bills that I think will make it to the postseason. And actually, a couple of people were surprised by that, but I don't see why not. They got one of the best offensive lines in the league. the most out of all the odds with Bet Rivers daily hometown discounts on boosts on your favorite teams only at your hometown sportsbook and to make your experience even more rewarding Bet Rivers offers the most live streams of major sports instant paths and only one time playthrough offer valid in Illinois only gotta be 21 or older gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER not valid for any participant of the Illinois gaming board statewide voluntary self-exclusion program Jonathan Vontobel filling in for Danny Burke. He'll be back next week. So I'm here with you until and through Friday. So our NFL guide is coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I had the honor of being able to write up the AFC North in the AFC East. We'll get to the AFC North uh, in a couple of days or towards the end of the week. Uh, if you were with us earlier, and if you weren't, theeson.com slash podcast. Talk with Zach Jackson. Pretty high on Cleveland. Like everything that's put in front of them in terms of their schedule, their personnel. So let's walk through the AFC East as a whole. Because this is a really fun-looking division, I think, on the surface. The Buffalo Bills, right now, the dollar fifty favorite to win this. And I can't really find a case to be made that says that they shouldn't be, right? The Dolphins, I think, have some work to do, which we'll get to. The Patriots, we know, are a work in progress, made some additions in the offseason. And then the New York Jets are the Jets and where they're at. I think there is some upside for New York, but it's a very wide spectrum of where they could land. So the Bills, I think, deserve to be favorites of about $1.50 range and in the range of an implied probability of about 60%. Now, that doesn't go, like, that's not without saying that the Bills have question marks about where they're at as a team. I think it starts first and foremost with a guy like Josh Allen. Josh Allen was absolutely incredible last year. But when you're talking about a guy who in the first two years of his career had a touchdown-to-interception ratio that was one of the worst in the National Football League throughout his career, 1.43, to then making the leap in one season to a 3.7 touchdown-to-interception ratio, when you're talking about a jump from 56.3% in terms of completion percentage his first two years to 69.2, that's an insane leap for one season. And it does make you ask the question – Is it sustainable? Is it real? I think one of the more underrated aspects of the offseason for the Buffalo Bills wasn't from a personnel standpoint, but it was retaining Brian Dable, who's done a great job as offensive coordinator and has done a tremendous job of getting the most out of Josh Allen as a quarterback. But Allen did all of that, man. He made that leap, finished 2020 as the third-ranked quarterback in DVOA, fifth-best quarterback by PFF grading. So if he can maintain that level of play, this offense is still going to be very good. However, if he doesn't, that's where the question marks, I think, for, begin for the Buffalo Bills. Because if he takes a step back, if he is not going to be the same guy, it's not a Buffalo Bills team that I think has a dominant rushing attack. A lot of it is, again, built off of that quick passing. And Lombardi says it all the time. You supplement your running game by having a short, quick passing game. And the Bills do that quite a bit. And if Josh Allen is going to regress by any mean, then this offense, I think, is in, going to be in some trouble. The personnel is really solid. I think across the board, when we look at skill positions, you like it a lot. But the big question for me for Buffalo is if this offense is not going to be the same as what this defense is going to look like. First and foremost, I think the front seven has some real problems defending the run. And there wasn't that much done to address it. If you look in 2020, Bills finished 17th against the run by DVOA standards. PFF graded their run defense as the fifth worst unit in the National Football League. And they gave up, look at this, the second, the most second-level yards per carry at one48 And the only personnel change isn't really a change. You just bring Matt Milano back in that linebacking core. That's going to be kind of a problem. Outside of Justin Zimmer, who was their highest-graded run defender a season ago, there are no real run-stoppers up front. And I think when you talk about generating a consistent pass rush with Buffalo, where is that coming from? Jerry Hughes was good, rock-solid, 54 pressures on 454 pass attempts or pass-rushing snaps, put it that way. But he ended up with just four-and-a-half sacks. There's no real threat in terms of a pass rusher outside of Hughes. A.J. Klein, Joe Giles-Harris graded highly as Ed Rushers, according to PFF, but we're talking about a total 123 pass rushing snaps between the two of them. So that's a really short sample size. So when you look at Buffalo at this point right now, when you talk about them being the favorite in this division, I think it is completely correct. But there are questions about this team. I don't think that Josh Allen is going to regress in, in, like, in a large way. 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Maybe it's not that extreme in terms of how good he was. I still think he's got a really high skill set. He's going to be a really good quarterback, and Dable's going to do a really good job. But I think what the downfall of this Bills team is, in the grand scheme of things, is going to be a defense that I do think has some real flaws. So outside of Buffalo, right, because when we, when we formulate these write-ups in our NFL guide, we talk about live dogs in the division, and I think a lot of people are going to point to the Miami Dolphins. And I have some questions about this. And rightfully so, I think they start with Tuatunga Tagovailoa. When you look at Tuatunga Tagovailoa. In 10 games last season, PFF grade of over 70 just twice. He got benched twice in favor of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it's going to be twofold for the Dolphins in their offense. It's going to be the development of Tua Tunga but it's also going to be the play of their offensive line. But starting with Tunga career uh, committing 13 turnover worthy plays last year on 327 dropbacks. A full offseason will probably offset some of the issues he had as a passer. But I think when you're looking at this offensive line, let's say Tua does develop as a passer. Let's say he is going to be better from a season ago. Bad offensive lines, they don't travel. That's the old adage, right? The other is they can weigh down an offense in a really big way. Michael Lombardi reported, what, two or three weeks ago, that the Dolphins were looking to acquire a quality offensive tackle, and that tells you, I think, all you need to know about this offensive line. They go and get Matt Scuda in the offseason, but it sounds like by all accounts in training camp, he's battling for a second-string spot as opposed to playing with the starters. It is 10 games at quarterback, Tua Opposing defenses pressured him on 29.1% of his dropbacks, and that looks like that's not going to improve this year. And so if this offensive line is going to be just as bad as it was a year ago, that's going to be problems for a young and developing quarterback. And you look at look, I, because I don't want to be overly negative on Miami. Devontae Parker's a quality receiver, 135 catches and 1,995 yards over the last two seasons. The 11 Will Fuller comes in; he's going to miss the first game, but the 11th highest graded wide receiver by PFF standards. Mike Geseki, I think, is really good. They add Jalen Waddle, but this all this all starts with the offensive line and Tua Tagovailoa's development as a quarterback. And defensively, there is going to be some regression coming for the Dolphins. And this is a team that last year led the league in turnovers, 29 total turnovers, 18 interceptions, 11 fumbles recovered. You know how hard it is to recover a fumble in the NFL? And Xavier Howard, by the way, was responsible for 10 of those interceptions. Turnovers are pretty fickle. And when you lead the league in turnovers, you tend to not the next season. So are you going to be able to do that again? Because if you're not, now you're looking at a defense that all of a sudden Lost Kyle Van and Shaq Lawson. That's 10 sacks out the window. Andrew Van Ginkle was their highest graded pass rusher last year. You have Emmanuel Ogba, who led your team in sacks. And, of course, you spent a first-round pick on Jalen Phillips. But overall, the defensive front has issues against strong running games. 16th in adjusted line yards per carry allowed. 19th in second-level yards uh, allowed per carry. So are those weaknesses then going to be exacerbated as well if you're not forcing the same amount of turnover? So ultimately, I just don't think that the Miami Dolphins are going to be a playoff team. One I do believe has the potential to be a playoff team is the New England Patriots. The Patriots, I, I really liked a lot what they did in the offseason. I think John U. Smith and Hunter Henry are two quality tight ends are going to fit perfectly with what the New England Patriots want to do. Remember those two tight end offenses that they terrorized the NFL with in the early 2010s, right? And look, a lot of it depended on quarterback play, and John U. Smith and Hunter Henry are banged up early in, pre, in preseason training camp, so we'll see if they're going to be healthy by the time we get to week one. That's a big question mark. But they join an offensive line that was one of the best offensive lines in the NFL last year, namely in run blocking. Damian Harris has been absolutely electric. Bill Belichick reportedly loves the kid. I got a ticket on him at 100 to 1 to lead the league in rushing. But this is an offense that is going to be dependent on running the ball, using two tight end sets, and I think that is going to maximize what you get at a quarterback, whether it is Cam Newton, whether it is Mac Jones, and you're going to see both of them. And I don't want to make too much of Cam Newton's average depth of target being less than a yard in the preseason. It's been one game. We'll see as that develops going forward. But there is a lot to like, I think, about this Patriots team offensively. Are they going to be an explosive offense? I don't think so. But are they going to be a quality top half of the league offense and I think one of the better rushing attacks in the National Football League? I absolutely do think that's the case. So you have a strong offensive line. You have strong tight ends and you also could have one of the better pass rushes in the National Football League because you go and you get Kyle Van Noy from the you know, from the Miami Dolphins to join this team a team where he thrived right In his time with the New England Patriots. You have a lot of other guys on this team. You have Matthew Judon added to the mix. You have Chase Winovich, Josh Uche. There's a lot of quality pass rushers for the New England Patriots. Actually, one of the teams that finished within the top five in terms of pressures but didn't in terms of sacks, actually only finished with 24. So those pressures should turn into sacks with the additions along this front seven. I think there's real questions about whether or not this run defense is going to be any good. I know Dante Hightower is coming back here along with some other guys from um, opting out because of the pandemic a season ago. I think if you look at Hightower in terms of some of his PFF grades, as the seasons have gone on, he's gotten a little bit worse as a run defender. So there are real questions about whether this team who, and some, look at this, 30th or lower defensively in three of the six rushing categories, football outsider tracks last year. How much does Hightower improve that? I totally understand that. But I think when you're talking about the Patriots winning nine games, potentially 10, getting that final wild card spot in the AFC, I think the potential is really there for New England, given their strengths overall. And then you get to the New York Jets. A team that I kind of like for some reason, and, and I shouldn't say it for some reason because there, there is a lot here, right? But the thing about the New York Jets is there is a wide range of options for the New York Jets, and it all depends on Zach Wilson and what he's going to be as a quarterback right. because the amazing thing about what the New York Jets have done is they have looked there and they said, You know what? It's all you, kid. Mike White is our primary backup at quarterback right now. And if you struggle and if you flounder, much like Tua Tungvaloa did last year, there is no Ryan Fitzpatrick to spell you or save you. And that's the intriguing part about New York because there are things to like about them. Makai Becton was a really good left tackle last year. He's only going to get better. They invested a first-round pick, Elijah Vera Tucker, along the left side. Morgan Moses is here as well. You could look at this overall skill positions. Corey Davis comes over after being the 10th highest graded wide receiver by PFF standards a season ago. Jamison Crowder, steady presence at wide receiver two offensively. There's quite a few positives here for the New York Jets. And then you look at them defensively, very quietly, as this team was crapped on all year long by pundits and everything. They actually had a top 10 front seven against the run the New York Jets did last year. And this team is only going to get better as you look at some of the guys that are coming along here. And look at Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, Vinnie Curry, real danger in terms of pass rushing threats too. I kind of like the Jets, but there's a lot that's dependent on whether or not Zach Wilson is going to be the guy. So my AFC East futures that I have played up to this point right now, Dolphins to make the playoffs, no, minus 130. Patriots to make the playoffs, yes, plus 110. Now, Damian Harris, I actually have him at 101 as the leading rusher in the NFL, but I think it's playable up to 65. They're 75 to one out there as well. But Damian Harris, watch out for him, man. Second highest graded rusher by PFF standards, only behind Derrick Henry a season ago. And he gets a full off season behind an offensive line and a better two tight end set. I think that kid's going to be absolutely electric. All right, we're all done here on Rush Hour. Make sure, by the way, you sign up for that PFO, uh, that guy, man. It's going to be great. Beaston.com slash subscribe We're all done. We'll see you tomorrow here on Rush Hour, presented by Better.